This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. to Wrestling Omakase, and it's episode number uh, <laughs> 129. I don't know why I forgot that for a second. Uh, welcome back, and this week we're going to be talking two very different shows, the WWE Royal Rumble and DDT Sweet Dreams. Um, luckily, there's nothing on the show that I need to yell and scream about because uh, <laughs> this is late night recording to peek behind the curtain. Uh, because I'm going to be on a little bit of a mini vacation this coming week. So this is the only time I can record it directly after the Royal Rumble. So I have to keep things down here in the living room of uh, my apartment. But yeah, so we're going to talk about those two shows. And I am pleased to be joined by a returning guest and a Voices of Wrestling contributor, Mr. Jack Beckman. Hello, Jack. Hello, John. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Now, I got a big question for you. I got to ask uh, right off the jump. Do you have, do you know that women exist? Uh, you know, I do. Um, you know, uh, it's uh, it, when I saw that tweet, it was a, uh, it was shocking to me. <laughs> uh, it was a realization I hadn't really have, come to. Do you have any on your match of the year list or are you canceled? Uh, I, th- well, my match of the year was the Kenny mixed tag from ultimate party. So I guess I have uh, to. Wow. There you go. So you're like, so, you're with me with the ultra uncanceled. You yeah, have a women's uh, match. Well, definitely. Match, but you, I have a women's match. I have a women's match in first place. So, oh, oh there the you. Two of us are. Both. You win. Yeah, I know the two of us are very, very uncanceled. Very woke. But uh, very, very woke. But yeah, what's uh, what's been up with you other than not being canceled? Apparently, I've, I've, my sleep has been all sorts of messed up. I ended up watching. The DDT show we're going to talk about today at like four in the morning, and then I haven't slept since then, so uh, I probably also won't be yelling. And it's a good thing that uh, the show, you know, largely was pretty all right, so I don't have to yell because, uh, yeah, I'm pretty tired and I will be having some sweet dreams like the uh, DDT show title after we're done with this. Um, the Aurora Rumble show, I mean, overall, I wouldn't call it like a great show or anything. I, th- I actually think eh, last year's was probably better because last year had, well, I don't know. It was the last two years. It's like they, they can't seem to get everything together. 
Like yeah. 2018, you had two really good rumbles and then a bunch of terrible title matches. I couldn't even remember what the title matches were in 2018 until someone reminded me. That was the uh, the fucking Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn handicap match against oh, AJ. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, and the Mayor Kane triple threat with Brock and mm. Braun. Those yeah, those were bad. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, they those are both really bad, and the um, you know the the the, the rumbles themselves are good though. The first woman's rumble was awesome, and like the men's rumble that Shinsuke won, I remember being pretty good too. Last year, they had a lot of really good like well, they had two really good matches that were for the titles, uh, the Becky Asuka title match and the um, the Finn and Brock title match. Both of those were like four star plus matches to me. Uh, yeah, the women's rumble was awful. I don't know what they did for the women's rumble last mm-hmm. year, but it was really bad. And I, I was trying to remember the bed trouble. I don't even really remember it, so it couldn't have been that good. I think I liked I it okay, it but fun. like not on. Like, I think it was like I probably had like three and a half or something. I think I enjoyed it enough. I can't remember who won, yeah. but I think I liked it. The men's rumble last year would have been won by Seth Rollins, Mister Burn It Down. Oh, that makes sense. Why I don't remember it? Yeah, but yeah. Uh, don't I don't really remember the men's rumble that well, so it can't be anything that great. Um, but yeah, they they can't seem to get the rumbles to be good and the non-rumble matches yeah. to be good in the same year anymore. This year again, the rumbles were good, the non-rumble matches were pretty bad, other than like one match. So we'll talk about it, or we're going to talk about it right now, I guess. Let's start with the false count anywhere match. Oh, first of all, I'm going to say I didn't watch the pre-show. I assume you didn't watch the pre-show either, Jack. Apps. So, like, I tuned, I turned it on for like a minute, and Andrade Carrillo was on, and I, I watched it for like thirty seconds, and then I thought, I don't want to do this. So then I stopped. So yeah, I didn't watch the pre-show. Uh, but yeah, so the opener for you and me, and for everybody else who's smart enough not to watch the pre-show, was Roman Reigns versus King Corbin in a false count anywhere match. Uh, it's a real hot open to the show and endless Roman entrance while we introduced random foreigner announced teams and like the crowd was like like half booing Roman but not like enough to be like super interesting so I don't know it was like a very boring opening to the show uh, and then it kind of continued with like a really boring walk and brawl type match uh, there was like two seconds of in-ring action where Roman did a move that I, I don't know if I've ever seen him do before I don't, I don't watch Friday Night Smackdown so I don't really know. Maybe he has busted it out. But, like, he did that move that's, like, a you start at, like, a backdrop position and then, like, move over in almost like a guillotine across yeah, the guy's yeah, midsection. Yeah. Do you know what that move's called? Because I've been trying to I, I don't because I also do not watch okay. uh, Friday Night Smackdown. But I don't – I've never seen him do that move move before. So that's cool. He has a new move, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, yeah, they – you know, uh, they, they, they bumped a little bit on the outside. Uh, Roman, like – you know that thing he does where he like loads up the Superman punch? That looks oh, so stupid it. when he well that looks so dumb when he was like on the floor like in a street fight and he's like, Let me do my goofy cartoon load up and I'm like He's gotta cock his fighting. he's gotta yeah, he's gotta load the gun and then yeah, it's so it's so fucking dumb, but I love it. But it's like it's it's one thing in the ring, but on the floor it looks incredibly stupid. Oh, oh absolutely. And then Corbin took advantage of this very obvious signal, like choke slamming him through the table. That looked good. But then we took a long, but like every time this match would get even a little bit good, they would take like a long walk into the crowd and completely kill momentum. Um, you know, he gave it like a Simone drop through two tables. 
uh, the, the crowd at this point started like chanting for USA, which I think was because the announcers that got kicked out of the table were Chinese announcers. And if that's why, fuck this crowd. <laughs> like, why would you do that? Yeah, um, probably that, prob- that would make sense. I mean, they're in <laughs> Texas, so yeah. W, w, w crowds are so bad. Like the oh, modern I've... W crowd, we're going to talk about them throughout the night, and they're just like the worst crowd in wrestling history. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, then the match hits like it's absolute nader when <laughs> Dolph Ziggler and and Bobby Roode suddenly appear out the crowd and jump Roman. Which, first of all, mm. why did they wait this long in a no DQ match anyway? But uh, <laughs> no, the Usos run out to make the save, and this is where the fucking shaky cam go over. Oof. Like the camera, the camera was shaking so much, I legitimately was starting to feel sick. I was like, what are we doing with the shaking Oh, it was horrible. (laughs) You know, there are some people that will tell you, I've seen this on Twitter, like, oh, you're making this shit up. The W doesn't do shaky cam or any of that stuff. They just, people just say that. I'm like, literally, what are you watching? Like, (laughs) the camera, the camera, they might as well have had another camera on this cameraman, like, shaking this camera up and down. I mean, it was so ridiculous. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, like, he's just like, like, the camera is like fucking going off in the stratosphere and just like fucking shaking all around. And then finally, meanwhile, Corbin and Roman are gone for like, I don't know, a good two minutes or something. Oh, yeah. They might as well be off having, they might as well be off having fucking tea because like the, the match just turns into a completely different match. Uh, you know, I'm almost getting sick from the camera work. And finally, uh, they, Roman and Corbin reemerge. Roman throws Corbin into a porta potty for some reason. This spot made no sense. Corbin didn't have any. Sh- people were joking on Twitter. Oh, he's gonna be covered in shit. He comes out of porta potty. He looks like he just took a shower. Like he doesn't have anything on him at all. Like, what the fuck was the point? And then he's told Roman like threw the porta potty over, but Corbin gets out and he's like just fighting him again. Like what was the point of that then? He no sold. It would it would have been like if they did that fucking dumpster spot in 1998 with the fucking New Age Outlaws and uh, Cactus Jack and Terry Funk. And, like, if Mick Foley and Terry Funk just got the dumps, like, oh, we're fine. We don't have any trash on us, and he just threw us off the stage. We're all right. Like, what's the point of that then? Uh, but, yeah. yeah. That was really bad. Uh, they even could have paid it off because, like, the you know, Corbin put the, the dog food on him, so they could have made the, the yeah. shit look like dog food or something. <laughs> Like they could have done that, it would have been incredibly easy. But no, <laughs> no. they are anti shit, and they also just wouldn't call it a porta potty, which was also pretty funny. But yeah, Corbin comes out of the porta potty without a speck of dirt on him or anything, and he's totally fine from the thing getting thrown over. And the match just keeps going, and Corbin starts hitting like these the world's weakest chair shots on top of the fucking Astros dugout, and just keeps going and going and going. And finally, Roman hits the Superman punch and the spear for the pen. Uh, I just wrote, fuck this match. I gave it a dud. I guess I need to give it a quarter star in grapple to officially recognize my rating. But, like, I mean, they did a couple cool things, but it just went on forever. And, like, there was every time they do anything interesting, they would go back to the fucking walk and brawl. And then yeah, there was a long portion of the match that had nothing to do with the two participants. So th- this was awful. Completely terrible. Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I also went, uh, like, a dud on it because, yeah, I mean, I don't like walk and brawl as much to begin with. And this was it was interesting at parts, and I certainly laughed at like the porta potty spot and like uh, Corbin and Range is disappearing for like two minutes. But like largely, this match was just Roman walks with Corbin for a little bit, does a punch, and then they walk. It felt like they walked around the entire fucking stadium by the end of it, and it was just brutal, especially to start the show. 
I, if I thought that if the rest of the show was going to be like this, we we're going to be in for a long night. But turns out this was easily the worst thing on the show by a fucking mile. Well, yeah. almost a mile. Uh, no, I think this. You have something. Oh, you say the worst thing on the show by a mile, but not. Yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, no, it was the worst, but like, eh, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Uh, the women's Royal Rumble was the second match. Um, first of all, why in God's name would you have Jerry the King Lawler call this? <laughs> like, what the fuck? That yeah, had to be Corey... like <laughs> Gray is we're getting oh. really horny, and it was yeah. bad. Why can't we have like a woman on there? Like I don't understand. It's very, like we can't get Renee on commentary for this or something. It's very weird. Uh, yeah. These two were Alexa Bliss and Bianca Belair. Uh, Bianca got a pretty decent little pop, and they had a cool little opening segment. Uh, you can just jump in here if you have anything to say about anything I'm talking about. I'm just gonna go through the entrance. Um, okay. Uh, Mighty Molly was number three. Uh, the crowd, the crowd didn't react that loudly to that. I was kind of surprised. I don't know if they, maybe they don't remember her. Probably but uh, Nikki Cross was number four. Alexa was very happy since they're friends. The, the Nikki Cross Alexa Bliss thing is one of the weirdest stories. Like one of those things where it's like when people talk about how WWE is like all about storytelling and stuff. Do you know that storyline? Like, do you know how that worked out? Uh, not really. I mean, I kind of know that like Nikki Cross is like her weird like friend servant. Well, let me let me let me just explain this really quickly. Okay, okay. Yeah, let me explain this. Really quickly. So Alexa's a key. Okay. Mm-hmm. Alexa heel takes on as this Nikki playing baby face who doesn't know she's being taken. So Alexa the heel, Nikki the baby face, are just happening. She's doing it's classic setup for Nikki to finally realize Alexa's using her and they have a big feud. But then it just goes on and on and on. And this this feud like kind of killed, I think, Bailey as a baby face. I think Bailey was the one involved. But just went on and on and on forever. And then finally one day, instead of instead of uh, you know, Bliss or you know, Bliss getting turned on by Nikki when Nikki realizes she's using her, Alexa just turns face out of nowhere, and the two of them are just a face tag team forever. And they're still friends. It's like one of the weirdest like fucking stories they've ever told. It make it just makes no sense at all. It's like the Rowan Trying like someone was asking about like what happened in the the Brian Rowan uh, Rowan Roman like murder mystery. Do you oh, know what God. the answer to that one was? The what the fuck? Oh, I so can't it turned remember. out to be Rowan. It turned yeah, out to be yeah. Eric and then Rowan. They had the twin. Okay. So no, no, no. But for, forget the twin. That's that's funny, but that's nothing to do with the solution. <laughs> it's the so only thing I remember. Be, okay. <laughs> it turned out to be Eric Rowan, and Brian was like, "How could you, man? You went too far." So Brian turned face. Eric Rowan brought Luke Harper back. They had a tag team match on a pay per view. I think I think Hell in a Cell actually that terrible show, and then immediately after that, Eric Rowan gets gets like traded to Raw or drafted to Raw, whatever the fuck, and Luke Harper go, like goes back in the mothballs where he came from and gets immediately released. It's like, and this is like months of build. They did this for that for that payoff. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's a great at telling stories. What can you say? Master storytelling. Uh, so Nikki Cross came in anyway. That's where we were, and Nikki and Alexa cleaned house and you know had a big hug. Lana was number five. She has a microphone. She calls herself, I'm quoting her here, the greatest WW superstar in the world. <laughs> I, uh-huh. I laugh way too hard mm-hmm. at her forgetting the E. She cuts a very generic heel promo without the Russian accent. When did she 
like stop being Russian. I I, I completely missed that. I guess I feel like I I just it was kind of like a while ago, and it just kind of <laughs> suddenly happened where she just like decided the Russian accent was too much effort, so she just kind of stopped doing it, which is bad because yeah. like it was kind of the only thing making her unique and not just another. I don't know. See now, I th- I thought this was setting up like the the overconfident heel talks her way all the way down into the ring and then gets immediately tossed out thing, but that didn't even happen. She just was in the match at that point, uh, and the crowd like I don't even know why the crowd bothered chanting USA at her. She's uh, she's not even doing the Russian thing anymore. Um, yeah, number six was Mercedes Martinez, uh, and she cleaned houses with suplexes and stuff. This is where it really started picking up, and yeah, that you know, was Mercedes cool. That was awesome. cool. Her yeah, her debut, uh, her, her being in this was really cool. Yeah, uh, seven was Liv Morgan who el- imme- immediately eliminated Lana uh, with the world's weakest shoulder block while Lana was on the apron, and then Lana retaliated by eliminating Liv. Which, by the way, I'm going to say it's every time they do this makes no fucking sense. Why can a wrestler not in the match eliminate someone in the match? You're, yeah, that you're was eliminated. Really you cannot. You should not. They they've done that for years. I'm just like, how? Why isn't every single person eliminated then come back and attack the person eliminated them? It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, uh, number eight is Mon- Mandy Rose. Mandy Rose is awesome here. I, I I guess I haven't yeah. watched a lot of a lot of SmackDown. I didn't realize that Mandy Rose. Um, I mean, I knew she was a very attractive woman, but I didn't know that she like was like a good wrestler. Now <laughs> I had no clue. Yeah, me either. Well, I'm, I'm used to seeing her just be completely like dog shit, but like she yeah she had a couple of good kicks and. Uh, she looked like a pretty competent pro wrestler, which is very surprising because usually people don't really improve in this company. Yeah. So she looked really good and she beat the shit out of Nikki until Nikki made a comeback. Uh, nine was Candice LeRae. Uh, Bianca, who we haven't talked a lot about yet, but she eliminates Molly here. Um, you know, Alexa almost eliminates Mandy, except Otis was laying on the floor. I guess they're doing like a Beauty and the Beast romance thing. But like he basically laid there and like let her land on him and let her like walk all over him, which I'm sure a lot of people on Twitter were very uh, jealous of <laughs> jealous of him for. But uh, since her feet touched him instead of the floor, uh, mm-hmm. she was not eliminated and she got back in the ring. That was really that was actually really funny. Sometimes yeah, yeah. this company usually usually swings and misses on comedy, but that was really like I was like laughing pretty hard so i like the i like otis in general for some reason he just makes me laugh yeah. i don't know why it's really dumb but... i mean he he is pretty funny he's too i mean it's a you know i don't know it's a stupid comedy gimmick but at least it's actually like most of the time their stupid comedy gimmicks are not funny so at least yeah. this one is fun uh, yeah and then he was on the, he was like outside supporting manny rose like saying yeah. things so you just hear him chime in in the background and that made some of the uh, more uh you know like when they weren't doing much in the ring that it, it helped my enjoyment of the match for sure uh, number 10 was Sonia Deville, who earlier backstage had basically promised to help Mandy win, even uh, eliminate herself if need be. And then Mercedes and Sonia had like a really fun little strike exchange and before Sonia and uh, Mandy teamed up to eliminate her. Uh, 11 was, of course, that most diabolical of heels, Gary uh, Sane. The adorable oh, yes. Japanese woman who they had to make into a heel because, damn it, she's not one of us. She's a foreigner. And all foreigners must eventually be heels, I guess. And she still has uh, her whimsical pirate music, and people are still cheering <laughs> her. But nope, she's got a whatever that umbrella thing is now. <laughs> it she's sucks. a dastardly heel. Uh, number twelve was Mia Yim. She didn't really do much. Uh, Belair used like Bliss as like a weapon here, and then she used her to like knock Nikki Cross off the floor, off the apron to the floor, and eliminate her. That was kind of cool. 
and then Sonia like inadvertently knocked Mandy Rose off the apron and right into Otis's arms, who caught her. But then Sonia was also knocked to the floor, and he wasn't able to catch them both, and they all fell to the ground, and they were both eliminated. A sad end to the Otis tale, but uh, I don't know. I thought they got rid of uh, Fire and Desire, as their team name is, too soon, because I thought they were the best thing in the matchup at this point. But uh, that was my Fire and Desire take, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, I would agree there. Uh, number 13 was Dana Brooke. Uh, she doesn't do much. And then Bianca press slams Candace out, and that's apparently her fifth elimination, tying the women's rumble record. Bianca was like the other big star of the match up to this point, and you know, would last a while longer, and she was really good in this match. Uh number four oh, at this point, Alexa eliminates Kari Sane, who did nothing. Uh, uh number yes. fourteen is number fourteen was Tamina, who I honestly <laughs> forgot was still employed <laughs> before she came out. Did you know Tamina was employed by this company? I really had no Absolutely clue. Absolutely not. And then they had Tamita come in, and she does this like face-off with Bianca Belair, and they're trying to hype this up as like some big thing. And I'm like, I couldn't give less of a shit. Tamina sucks. Yeah. Like, why Ugh. why drag Bianca down like that? Uh, yeah. But yeah, Bianca Bianca eliminated her in two seconds after that and stared Thank down for God. the sixth elimination. That set the new record. Uh, number 15 was Dakota Kai. Uh, at this point, Alexa eliminated Mia. Uh, number 16 was Chelsea Green with Robert Stone. So, yes, Robbie E. made on for WWE pay-per-view. <laughs> Garrett Kidney somewhere was just like, yes! Yeah, he, uh, he just stood at the end of the ramp and, like, stroked his chin and then went to probably went to the back. That's what all that he got entire, dressed up. Yeah, that was his entire That was his entire uh, airing on the show. That was pretty amazing. Then the, uh, and office yeah, talked about how he was looking for championship matches for his clients. It's like, what the fuck are we doing here? Uh, Chelsea dumps Dakota immediately, but then she gets dumped immediately from behind by Alexa, which uh, seems kind of pointless, but sure. And then Belair eliminates Dana, poor Dana Brooke, for her seventh elimination. Uh, and then we're back to the two we started with. And this is where I said I hope the match picks up a little bit because I kind of thought it had slowed down, but it did, thankfully. So uh, they had a cool little exchange here with uh, you know Bianca and Alexa. They both ended up on the apron. Uh, and after Alexa kept like holding on to Bianca Belair's like giant hair, uh, I guess what we call like a a bead, right? I don't braid. Know. I don't. Braid, I don't, I don't know. Braid's the word I was. Braid is the okay. word I was actually looking for. Um, she kept holding on to her giant braid, but Bianca like basically like let her go and then like pulled her back in and like slammed Alexa face first into the ring post. That looked sick as hell and like really that looked really cool. And that eliminated uh, Alexa for Bianca's eighth elimination. Uh, and then number t- 17 was Charlotte Flair, which was, you know, like, oh, business is picking up. And then she and B- Bianca fought to a stalemate. Uh, 18 was Naomi, who got a really big pop for her return. I guess she'd been out for months. I didn't even realize it. But, uh, yeah, I was, like, pretty surprised at the level of pop she got. Yeah, me too. I've always liked Naomi, but I didn't know that she was that over. Because, yeah, I mean, she definitely got a surprising pop. Good yeah. for her. I mean, she's she's always been pretty 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 she's, good. Yeah, she's good. So I don't I don't I just didn't know she was that over. Uh, right. Nineteen was Beth Phoenix, who well, that was a cool little thing. I mean, she wasn't she was not a big surprise because she was in the thing two years ago, but uh, she looked good in this match, and she gets busted open pretty quick, as we'll talk about, and like wrestle the entire rest of the match. Uh, but yeah, so she's in here at nineteen in Queen's house and goes right to Charlotte and Naomi. Uh, 20 is Tony Storm, who also goes right for Charlotte. And then uh, Charlotte finally eliminates Bianca Belair, which ends her 33-minute run. So definitely a good run for Bianca, probably close to the MVP of the match. Uh, yeah, yeah. 21 is Kelly Kelly, who, again, gets like a really large pop. Like, what is this Kelly Kelly nostalgia? She did two years ago, too. 
Like she was always fucking terrible. What are these people cheering for? I don't know. Uh, Maybe they're horny. I that, that's the only <laughs> thing that explains it. I I fucking don't know. She sucks. She also gave Tony Storm a stink face, which like imagine rubbing your. I mean, this is a little more horny than this thing he was against, but like she she rubbed her tiny ass in the face of a woman with a much larger posterior. You know, it's like uh-huh. this, this kind of seems like you should have reversed this probably. Uh, but yeah, then Beth <laughs> Beth eliminates Charlotte at this point. Uh, 22 is Sarah Logan. Uh, she gets eliminated two seconds by Charlotte, so uh, thanks for coming, Sarah. But Charlotte spends so long posing that Kelly Kelly almost eliminates her, which that would have been hilarious, Kelly Kelly eliminating Charlotte. I was uh, hoping Char- for it. <laughs> it would have been really funny. I was like, that's her WrestleMania feud. Charlotte and Kelly Kelly battle the blondes. But no, Charlotte <laughs> instead eliminates Kelly Kelly to pretty big booze for that. Uh, I, this is where I first realized, I'm like, wait, Charlotte's supposed to be a baby face, but she's not acting like a face in this match at all. Oh, like she's no. basically, I mean, like, maybe she's just going to go heel against Becky. I mean, like, you can see that, I guess. But uh, I think she's supposed to be a face, so I don't know. Uh, 23 is Natalia, and she and Beth do like a big double powerbomb on Charlotte. Uh, 24 is the, the real shooter, Zia Lee, and she she lays out everybody with kicks and like busts open the back of Beth's head really bad. Like this giant, they keep bleeding a gusher for the rest of this match. I couldn't believe Beth, like they, they let Beth stay in this match. And the reason why they let Beth stay in this match is actually incredibly stupid. Like they needed her for one fucking spot that we'll get to much later. But like for that, you made this woman wrestle out here with a goddamn cut in the back of her head. Yeah, especially since <laughs> this company is usually like pretty proactive about that blood stuff. But like, but no, she we gotta. Was, she was we gotta fucking keep her gushing. Head. Like half, like half her head was fucking red, to the point well, where like I didn't know if it was hair dye at first, and, I'm, and then I realized it was blood. I'm like, oh shit, that's a lot. Look, as we'll get to, there's a very important spot uh-huh. you cannot mm-hmm. fucking make. Of course. That uh, 25 is Alina Vega, who doesn't really do anything. Uh, 26 is Shotzi Blackheart. Do you have any idea who this woman is? I have no. Okay, idea. so I know she's like an American indie girl who did like some stuff with evolve and shine and i think she just debuted on nxt i don't think she's very good from what people say so when she came out i was like why the fuck is she in this match especially since like you i mean they have a shit ton of women employed they could have probably dragged one out that's better so yeah, i've never i've never I, even I, heard of her i don't know who she is she's like i don't she's she's not i've never seen a match first it's been above like three stars the only thing really i know is that she she's done some stuff with evolve so that say as you will <laughs> Uh, at this point, Naomi does her crazy, like, not eliminated thing. But it makes no sense because, like, okay, she's at the base of the stairs. And, the, the like, they shouldn't have showed us this. They, they cut to a replay. She just jumps across to the barricade for no reason. Like, why didn't she just go back up the stairs? Oh, it, I thought <laughs> it, was cool, it was cool that she could do that and, like, lay. Yeah. But I saw it's, that it's and not I'm just her- like – it's not her fault. Why the fuck did the replay people show that she just jumped across for no reason? It looked yeah. way more impressive that she was like hanging on there before we saw that she had jumped across to, to jump across. So I don't know. Once they showed that replay, I was kind of just like, all right, we got the, we did we have to do the obligatory spot? And then the way they ended up paying off that spot where she just walked on the announce tables for like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And then eventually set up that shitty bridge, which I was so hoping was going to break. Yeah, and then it and they, and they always then... they always have these people get back in the like these uh the people who like get thrown out like whether it's Morrison or Kofi or Naomi they always have them immediately get eliminated I assume because if they don't then like you know yeah 
it's not a big they, deal. They, they fuck up. It's not a big deal. But like, yeah, it looks so stupid every time when they get back in the ring. And it's like, oh, I made it. Okay, now you're gone. I can go like a year or two without any of these spots, like because we've seen yeah. them every single year from the exact same people, and it's starting to get a little bit. It's losing its coolness factor that it once had. Uh, number twenty-seven is Carmella, uh, who gives Natalia a huge Rana. Uh, Beth is like really bleeding at this point to the point where I really couldn't believe they let her continue. But we'll get to why in a second. Uh, Charlotte gets still to the floor, but through the ropes, so she's not eliminated. Uh, 28 is Tegan Knox, who doesn't really do anything. And then 29 is Santina Morella, which is why Beth, yes, Beth mm-hmm. Phoenix mm-hmm. had to fucking bleed out of the back of her skull for like 25 minutes or whatever because she had a comedy spot to do with Santino Morella in drag. <laughs> that is why they couldn't eliminate her early. I was like cracking up laughing when I realized that was the reason. Because Santina gets to the ring. She has a big stare down with Beth. The announcers remind us all uh, that Santina threw out Beth to win Miss WrestleMania Battle Royal like in 2011. Or the fu- I'm like, who even remembers that? First like of this all. deep lore of Santina <laughs> that like anyone gives a shit. Yeah, the crowd did not like this. They were not into this at all. And like Santina has this big like stare down with, uh, you know, with Beth and Natalia on either side. And then she pulls out the. Should I say she? It's not. And she's not really trans. I mean, it's really. It's just Santino Morella in drag. He pulls out the fucking she. snake. They were saying she. I don't know. I don't know. But Santina pulls out the. I'm just going to not use pronouns to be said. John, remember, uh, we're, the, we're the woke ones for our women, yeah, like, for our women in our match of the year list. So we know yeah. what's right. Uh, Santina pulls out the Cobra and like acts like Santina's gonna like use it on both of them, but then turns the Cobra on, on himself. <laughs> and like yeah. just nails it. And the, I'm laughing because it got no reaction at all. He like hits himself with the Cobra and like throws himself all out of the ring, and the crowd like lightly boos, and that's it. Like that was so fucking stupid. For that, this woman had to bleed out of the back of her head for 25 minutes. I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, we couldn't just cancel the Santina spot. That was that important. You just find uh, someone else next. Find Diana fucking Parazzo or whatever. And throw send her Stephanie out McMahon out there. Who sure in her fucking business suit or whatever. <laughs> throw just uh, like Lacey Evans' daughter. I don't know. That'd be funny. Number thirty is Shayna Baszler, who uh, you know I wrote down at the point could easily win this. She eliminated a whole bunch of people, uh, and this is where Naomi made a bridge to get back in. They already talked about. Uh, but yeah, it came down to basically Shayna, Beth, Natalia, and Charlotte. And Charlotte was still on the floor at that point. Uh, Beth turns on Natalia and eliminates her, just like she did two years ago in the first one. These wrestlers are always so fucking stupid in these Royal Rumbles. If you have a team in the final four, and they do the same exact thing with the men's Rumble, eliminate the other people and then fight each other. Like, why are you turning on your partner? What like what the, wouldn't you rather get down to a 50-50 shot against your partner than a 33% shot against two other people? I don't understand. Well, in Beth Phoenix's yeah, defense, they, she may have had a little bit of head trauma going on. So that's true. That's true. But yeah, it never makes any sense. Anyway, uh Charlotte tries to sneak up like a true heel and eliminate them both, but uh neither of them go out. And then she and Shane have this big long stare down. Before they can actually fight, uh, Beth tries to eliminate Charlotte from behind, but uh, fails, and Shane eliminates Beth. And then Charlotte kind of just uses her legs to power Shane out and win. It was a little bit of a flat ending, I thought, but uh, you know, I still thought this was a really good woman's number overall. Not as good as the first one, probably, just because that had the yeah. all the nostalgia pops and the uh, 
you know, just the, the, the honor of being the first one. But I thought this was like a, a zillion times better than last year's, which really fucking sucked. So I would go four stars on this. I was going to give it a star rating. It was really good. Had a really good time with it. A lot of good stuff that I remember for a while, probably. And, you know, the slow parts were a little slow, but this is a definitely a very good rumble. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I went three and a half because, yeah. Uh, but I still really enjoyed it too. Last year's was just a fucking train wreck. So it was definitely a lot better than that. It felt cohesive. There were definitely some spots where I felt my attention waning, like some of the later, like Beth and Natalia stuff I didn't really care about because I, I think Natalia fucking sucks, but that's whatever. But yeah, I'm, there was like minor quibbles I had with it. Like the Naomi thing bothered me too, but there was a lot of cool stuff in here and it didn't really feel like a waste of time. And it really felt like they made Bianca and Shayna look like big deals, which... You know, sometimes building stars is hard for them, so it was a good thing that they actually put two people who they could use in their future over strong. Yeah. Uh, up next was the SmackDown Women's Title match: Bailey versus Lacey Evans. Uh, so they cut to Lacey's daughter at ringside, who immediately starts picking her nose, which was really funny. Um, supposed baby face, the trad wife, Lacey Evans, gets booed out of the building, and mm-hmm. Bailey also gets booed. So the crowd likes nobody. Uh, it's just like Bailey did that fake leg injury thing, which I'm like, oh my god! But at least she like dipped it right away, so that's fine. But it was so fucking boring. Just I, I have nothing to say about this match because nothing happened until the very end when Bailey got her knees up on a moonsault and I guess kind of grabbed the tights, but it barely looked like she did on the camera angle. And yeah, and that was the finish. Getting knees up on a moonsault was the finish. So a perfect ending to a hilariously awful match. Half a star. The crowd, who was very into the Rumble, and I guess you're you're always going to like lose the crowd a little bit after Rumble. But like, yeah, they were they did not rally behind the trad wife Lacey Evans here, and uh, this was really terrible. Yeah, the only thing I have in my notes for this one is uh, the uh, Lacey Evans daughter picks nose, and then a bunch of dots and then one star. Like that's the only thing I wrote down. And so I don't remember anything else that happened to this match. So yeah, it was, it, it, yeah, it was boring. This was really, it was really bad. Uh, so I definitely would, uh, would agree. Uh, so universal title strap match, the fiend Bray Wyatt versus Daniel Bryan. Uh, this is like not the four corner drag rule. Thankfully it was the pinner submission rule. Um, so they, they have done those in the past. It's pretty rare, but like, you know, I was mentioning in the chat, like fully loaded 99 with the rock and triple H in a strap match. That was at the pin rules, not the drag rules, but the drag to all four corners is much more common. Um, first of all, no more red lights. I was very sad. (laughs) I don't know if that's that's temporary because of like the baseball stadium or if like that's permanent. It would have made it look cooler. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, the crap is like really dead. Um, Wyatt at one point like knocked Brian out of the air on a dive, which looked like shit. Like it looked like he just kind of put his hands up a little bit, and Brian like kind of knocked into his hands and fell to the ground. Like that looks so terrible. Uh, Fiend just this match. If I, I don't, there's people on Twitter that insi- and even in our Slack, I was getting into it with like uh, a couple people, and like people were like, "Oh, the match was good on the finish and blah blah blah." I'm like, "How is this good? The majority of this match was the Fiend." Hitting Daniel Bryan with a whip. I am pantomiming a whip, which none of you can see. But he's just whipping Daniel Bryan to complete silence. What is entertaining or good about that exactly? Because that was the, that was most of this match. So if you like this match, I'm assuming you like 
you really like watching a man whip another man. Because I have no other explanation for all these people on Twitter and all these people uh, in the Slack, voice wrestling Slack that like this match. I, I really don't get it. Like, what was good mm. about it? Look, we live in a horny world. So I, I guess, guess that I guess that explains <laughs> it. By the way, did you see the the contract signing for this where the fiend uh, stabbed yeah. his hand with a pencil and signed in blood? Yeah. And that look, was good the shit. Is, the fiend is hilarious and I enjoy him very, you know, on an ironic level, but like I don't understand the people arguing this match is good. There, there was nothing good about oh, this no, match. Oh no, no. Were... It was just it was I mean it was like it wasn't as a, like bad as the last match, but that doesn't mean it was good. No, no, no. I like I like the last one better. The, the oh, okay. I, I was like I was around like that, one star in both. I went like three and a half on that one. I think this one was fucking awful. That one was like there was some good, cool little like the Brian comeback was fun. It was much shorter. This one, this felt like it went on forever, and it was just this man whipping this man over and over and over again. Just this is so fucking. And the crowd doesn't fucking care at all. They're just completely dead. Which I guess they are in lots of matches, but they're so like this is supposed to be your universal title match, and they're completely dead for all of this. Uh, you know, Brian. The, the only highlight up to this point was like Fiend threw a pretty good lariat on the floor, and that's about that. Like, uh, wow, a, one good lariat, way to go. Uh, and then Brian like low blowed him repeatedly because you're not a WWE babyface uh, unless you hit a low blow, which we'll talk about soon enough too in <laughs> the men's rumble match. Uh, DDT's him on the announce table. And then, you know, Brian kicks the Fiend and whips him while the Fiend keeps telling him to do it some more, which was fine, I guess. Uh, Fiend gets Sister Abigail out of nowhere for a two count. And then we had the other legitimately cool spot in the match where Brian, and this is the spot that also made me want to fuck kill somebody when they I saw what they did with it after. So Fiend has Brian in the mandible claw, right? Mm-hmm. So that's cool. I mean, uh, yeah. mandible mm-hmm. claw, whatever. Uh, Brian, Brian counters it into the yes lock. Now, Brian countering the mandible claw on the yes lock, that was legitimately awesome. That was the first thing this match where I'm like, okay, this is really cool. Fiend mm-hmm. gets out of it immediately without even breaking a fucking sweat and fucking uh, Corey Graves starts opining that the Fiend, you see, he is a magic man and he has magical powers and he is completely uh, fucking, you know, He's completely uh, uh, he's unkillable, I guess, by submissions. He is completely immune from all submissions. He can break out of them immediately. He, the game, the world is a is a video game for the fiend, and he has the ultimate cheat code to break all submissions. I guess he just Did fucking he, presses okay. the button. Was that video like, game for you? It. Did they actually say that? No, no, that's me. But like, okay, I, don't, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand what else it could be because like he he didn't struggle. He just broke the whole like the whole just vanished into thin air. Like I said, I wasn't going to scream on the show, but I want to scream right now because it was so fucking stupid and it ruined a good spot. Just let the man struggle. He he can be a big monster and still struggle in a hole and struggle to get out of it. He doesn't have to immediately get out of it with his magic fucking powers. That was so goddamn stupid. Uh, also, the uh, humor of hearing someone say, uh, like, fiend hit Larry. It's <laughs> just fiend did this. It's just so just this fucking. It, it, it why is this funny. a thing? Uh, and there was a total wet fart of a finish because the fiend just like he no sells Brian's knees and then he does like a very weak looking mandible cho- claw choke slam for the pen. The crowd like really took a shit all over that finish uh, and they died instantly. So again, a couple spots you could call cool if you want to stretch it, but one of them was completely ruined immediately. And I am not giving a good rating for a one good lariat. So it gets a one and a half stars and it fucking likes it. 
It's about where I'm at too. I, I didn't really put a precise rating on this because this is where I started to get pretty sleepy. So I kind of just slapped that in my head. Like it's around that one and a half, two star range. Just, Definitely not higher than that. I don't see what the people saying. It's even like a good match or like we're watching. Like it, there was nothing good about it. Anyway, I don't want to keep ranting and raving about it. It's just so fucking stupid. And then Brian gets like carried out to complete silence. And you know, they really want the crowd to give him like the big, like, yeah, you tried standing ovation, but the crowd doesn't react because the crowd doesn't fucking care that Daniel Bryan lost to the cartoon fucking fiend. Like, it's not like, oh, you gave it all, you're all, and, you know, came up short against the monster. It's, it's not like he just got killed by Brock Lesnar. He lost to the cartoon man, okay? The fiend might as well have taken out his giant mallet and hit him with it. Because nobody... That, I, that, I, I mean, wish you would have done that. It's not, it, it's not real. It's just stupid. Anyway. The dream match tour <laughs> rules on. <laughs> The fiend fucking sucks. The dream sucks. The fiend fucking sucks. I enjoy him because he sucks so bad and it's funny. But don't try to make the fiend is good actually happen, folks. You're you're just not correct. <laughs> Match number five: the Raw Women's Title, Becky Lynch versus Asuka. Uh, again, the match was kind of dull, and the crowd was not that into it at all. And then Becky just Becky like Oscar just like uh, started taking these ridiculous bumps, to try to get any kind of reaction. Like Becky does like a front suplex and like just tosses her off the apron. Like and Oscar just like slams face first in the ground. I'm like that looks like a fucking New Japan bump. The only difference is if this was a New Japan crowd, they would have actually reacted to it. Whereas the WWE fans were just like. Eh. Uh, and then fucking Becky gives her an exploder, gives Oscar an exploder into the barricade. Looks like it sucked. Um, I'm reminded of the Safe Company TM. Uh, of so it's just bumping. They're bumping all over, trying to get anything resembling a reaction, and still getting absolutely nothing. Uh, Oscar returns the favor in the ring and like drops Becky right at her neck on a German suplex. I mean, the match was sick as hell when it comes to like all these bumps, but like the crowd's not reacting to them at all. Uh, she kicks her in the head repeatedly. Like they showed on slow mo, she kicked her right in the face. And still got zero reaction. Now uh, the crowd finally got into it a little bit when she just kept kicking her while when Becky asked for more. Uh, and they had like a really like fast paced like counter exchange that did you know the crowd started to get up a little bit more. Uh, but then the facing sequence was like really goofy and fell out of nowhere with Becky like asking the gut to quote unquote knock the mist out of her. But like, you know, Asuka, it wasn't Oscar like spit it straight up in the air, so it looked very goofy. Uh, and then immediately get the disarmor for the win. So I don't know. I went three and a half. It was good. There were a lot of there was a lot of stuff I liked. The crowd didn't care, and then the ending was out of nowhere, so it couldn't touch last year's match, but uh, between Becky and Oscar, but it was still good. Best best yeah. non rumble thing on the show by a mile. Yeah, I'd agree. I went three and a half on it as well. Uh, uh, the crowd definitely just contributed to a lot of my disappointment with this because they apparently uh, don't know how to react to anything that isn't. Uh, Chinese people having their table breaking broke. I guess so. So I guess, I guess that's cool. But yeah, I'm. Mean, it was a good. It was a good match. Uh, if it would have been in front of a better crowd, I think I would have enjoyed it more. But like I said, the finishing sequence was a little bit sloppy. But there was a lot of stuff in here that was really cool, and I felt like if they could have like been that way the entire match instead of kind of losing it near the end, and if the crowd was a little bit hotter, I think it could have been at least close to last year's match. But last year's match was one of my favorites. Probably in WWE for the entire year because I didn't watch too much of it, but yeah, it's been yeah, number two WWE match of the year, so didn't really hit that level, unfortunately, which is a disappointment. Yeah, 
Uh, finally, the men's Royal Rumble, except it took 10 years to start because first we needed the Street Profits doing a promo that went on fucking forever. Uh, then we needed an entrance for special guest commentator Booker T, who at least was here to save the commentator position, so thank you, Booker. <laughs> but then Rusev and Lashley, we learned that they got in a brawl earlier today and both got taken to the hospital, so they're out. So, uh, okay. <laughs> who cares, I guess. Uh Brock Lesnar is number one, of course. Uh, Elias is number two. Uh, he like strums and like talks his way down the down the fucking thing. And his walk with Elias gets by far the biggest reaction on the show. So uh, it's the only thing this crowd cared about was Elias's catchphrase, I guess. Um, of but yeah, he he literally starts singing about how he's a sacrificial lamb, which I thought was funny. But uh, Brock goes to charge him on the floor finally, but like almost trips and falls right in the barricade, which was really funny. Uh, and then he breaks the guitar of Elias and eliminates him pretty easily. Uh, number three was Big Red Eric Rowan and his cage thing, and Brock close-locked him out in two seconds. And this is where I was already, like, crying with laughter because Eric Rowan was like, oh, I'm a big monster. I tried to kill Roman Reigns. I am a mystery creature. And he gets killed in two seconds. It was so great. I was, like, dying. Uh, number four is Robert Roode, who uh, Brock Brock sold for a couple pu- – Brock sold for, like, two punches for him, so that's pretty good. But uh, after that half a second, he just immediately closed lines up and F fives him and tosses him out. Uh, five is John Morrison, who just returned and gets the slow bow, and Brock eliminates him in nine seconds. At this point, I was loving this. I'm like, yes, just kill the entire yeah, roster. Oh, it was great. <laughs> I was hoping, I was like thinking, I'm like, oh, good, maybe we'll be done sooner. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't give. I mean, like, look, they've already had him beat everybody in the company anyway. Who gives exactly. a fuck? He's like all one match. Like the people who are like, I, I did see a few people on Twitter being like, "Oh, this is very bad and all." I don't like to see that Brock is burying the company. Like, where have you idiots been for the last decade? He's buried the entire company. It, it's past tense. He has beaten everyone in this company there is to beat a million times over. Every time someone beats him, he just immediately beats them again. That's the reality. At least him doing it in one match is kind of fucking funny. So yeah, it was kind of cool. I mean, like he was being (laughs) dominant. I'm like, it. I mean, do you really care about fucking Robert Root? Like, who gives a shit about Robert Root? Some of these people they used in this were a little bad. Up next is Kofi Kingston. Respect. Uh, Yeah. So Kofi's trying to get his revenge for being F5'd and pinned in four seconds to lose WWE title. Uh, and the crowd does go nuts for his two seconds of offense before Brock takes back over. Uh, but Kofi at least was the first person to survive until the next entrance, so good for him. Uh, number seven was Rey Mysterio, who also had a beat for Brock that was never paid off. And uh, I don't know, Brock and Ray like weirdly got their wires crossed or something briefly. That was a little weird. So they almost they just had like a weirdly like awkward sequence. But then Brock just lays both of them out, uh, throwing them around, and they roll to the floor. Uh, eight at this point is Big E. So Big E he rallies the troops on the floor and he gets Kofi and Ray back up and says, "Let's go get Brock three on one." And normally, like having three baby faces go after one heel would be death for the crowd. But Brock is like on such another level compared to this geek roster that the crowd goes fucking nuts for the three baby faces going. And they're like, yeah, get him. <laughs> get Brock. It's the only way you idiots can beat him. So go. Like they're going crazy for this for three on one advantage baby faces. It's so fucking funny. And then Brock proves the crowd right because he immediately eliminates Ray. Eliminates Big E, and then F5's Kofi to the floor uh, for seven eliminations. The crowd actually seemed really angry when he threw out Kofi, at least, too. So uh, like, this is where I thought they were like getting pretty restless. Um, you know, I don't know. Did you think anything at this point? It was, it, it was cool, but also, like, really got to kill the new day like that? Like, that seems a little excessive. 
I've been over the we, New Day really, for two years, we, so like we really couldn't the, yeah. find we couldn't find anyone else on the fucking five thousand person roster to sacrifice. I mean, yeah, Otis, oh, Heavy Machinery were supposed to be in this match, and they fucking weren't in it. Where is Otis? Yeah, was he fucking? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like Kofi. Poor Kofi just looks like the biggest dork who ever lived, and it's like uh, he already know? looked like a massive dork when he got <laughs> beaten. But like, why? Seconds. Why rub the salt in people's face in the people's wounds? Yeah. I don't get it. I don't uh, care about nine, anything WWE booking, so I just laughed and <laughs> moved on. <laughs> number nine was Cesaro, and Brock Lesnar immediately imposed with the title. Uh, Ten is Shelton Benjamin. That gets like a laugh out of Brock, and that was actually kind of funny. You know, these two were teammates and stuff, and like Paul hugs him on the floor, and Brock hugs him in the ring, and convinces them they should be allies. Now, I thought Shelton was going to turn on Brock and Brock was going to eliminate him, obviously. They didn't even do that. They just had Shelton be like, all right, yeah, I'm going to team with Brock. And Brock turned on him and tossed him out. I'm like, you could not have booked this to make this man look like more of an idiot. So, I mean, it doesn't matter because it's Shelton Benjamin, but like, <laughs> you couldn't at least let Shelton turn on Brock? Anyway. I can't remember uh, the last Shelton Benjamin match I've seen. Uh, 11 is a real big star a former Royal Rumble winner uh, Shinsuke Nakamura and as he came out I think I tweeted something like he's going to get squashed here like he did in the IWGP title match too bad <laughs> when he like cried afterwards he lost like 7 minutes uh, yeah and he it, it was even worse than I would have guessed Brock tossed him out at me like a total buffoon so I hope he enjoys that surfing because he's like another fucking geek getting buried here. That uh, dude probably loves being able to get paid to do nothing, though. Like, he seems like the type of dude who's okay with I guess, but uh, boy, is he getting paid to do nothing. Oh, Number yeah. 12 is M- MVP making his turn, which, you know, that got a big pop. The crowd loved them some MVP. Uh, and we got the greatest image of all time, which is Brock, like, dancing to his music. And we're, I was laughing thinking about it because he's like, yeah, I'm coming. Like, Brock is, like, dancing. Oh, it was so good. Brock dancing to anything is great. Oh, uh, and he tosses, and, and then on top of that, he tosses MVP out of me. <laughs> I was like again cracking up, laughing. I mean, this match is so fucking. Again, I think if people still cared about the results, and I like the, the people on Twitter, I saw they were able to get angry about this kind of thing. I'm just like, I get it, but also it's it's WWE. You can't get angry about any fucking result in WWE. So who cares? Uh, 13 is Keith Lee, who, uh, you know, the crowd goes nuts for him, just like putting Brock down with a shoulder block. Uh, he actually gets to hang with Brock for a little bit, and the crowd's really into that. And, you know, they do a double clothesline spot and both go down. Uh, number 14 is Braun Strowman. He cleans house on both men. And here is where Braun and Keith Lee both are the two dumbest wrestlers possibly in the history of wrestling. You've just watched this unbeatable man who has dominated this company for the past decade, mm-hmm. who has almost never beaten without the assistance of a low blow, which so we'll get to that in a second. And you decided, and you're both two giant men, and you decided instead of double teaming this man, who also is WWE champion, so by tossing him out, you could earn a shot at the World Wrestling Entertainment Championship without having to win this entire rumble. Instead of ta- double teaming this man and going after him and trying to toss him out, you fight each other. Yep. Why? Why would you ever do that? Why would two human beings? Why would two human beings on this earth ever in that situation fight each other instead of fighting Brock? Truly baffling. (laughs) In what universe of all the possible universes would Keith Lee and Braun Strowman, two human beings who exist, choose to fight each other instead of fight instead of team up on Brock? It's not. It's not like 
I mean, Braun is like bigger than Brock too. So if you think about it, like, there's no advantage. Like, if he was, there's playing, no, yeah, there's I, no I, between the two. I'm thinking there's about no, this too much. There's no beef between Keith Lee and Braun Strowman. To my knowledge, I don't even know if they've ever met. I guess they were in that Survivor Series match together, probably, but I don't think they ever fought each other. They, it was completely baffling that these two men decided they'd rather fight each other than team up on Brock. Anyway, so Brock immediately tosses them both out like complete fucking idiots, and uh, they completely deserve that. Of course. Uh, number 15 is Ricochet, and Brock somehow like fell down when he had him in his arms. I thought he was like having a heart attack or something. I was like, what is it called? Wouldn't that have been like, he looked... uh, 16 is Drew McIntyre. So, okay. I don't. I really don't understand why people weren't angrier about this. I guess because I just said this, it really doesn't matter. But people said this wasn't like people defended this elimination. I don't get it. Brock eliminated four or thirteen people by himself. All this build up, and you at least you're thinking, okay, at the end of it, someone's going to knock Brock out and be like the biggest hero of all time. The fucking Brock elimination was Ricochet giving him a low blow. And fucking Drew McIntyre flying out of nowhere for a Claymore kick. They couldn't even give us a clean Royal Rumble elimination. Not a pinfall. Not a submission. Going over the top rope in a battle royal. They couldn't just have Drew McIntyre Claymore kick this motherfucker out. They had to have Ricochet low blow him from behind. And Brock be all distracted and low blowed and blah blah blah. Stand and then fucking Drew McIntyre Claymore kick him out. Like, what the fuck? I mean, it, yeah, it, it was a it, little. I will say it was. A, it's not quite as bad as I thought it was in the moment because at least Drew went on to win the goddamn match. But like, why would you even do that? You're trying to get this man over as a new top babyface, and you're going to go challenge Brock at WrestleMania. Didn't they have anything from having Seth beat Brock with a bunch of low blows at WrestleMania last year, which looked fucking stupid when he walked around calling himself the fucking Beast Slayer? I don't know. Yeah, I'm uh, getting mad after I just said I wouldn't get mad about the results, but like that's so fucking stupid. To me, it was kind of like I thought it was dumb for sure, but at the same time, I I don't know. It's tough to care. It I do like this thing that Brock's weakness is his dick. I think that's pretty funny. But, but wait a second, but, people keep saying that's like some big thing. Every man's weakness is their fucking dick. Yeah. <laughs> Whose weakness is not their dick? It just makes all these baby faces look like fucking dorks. That that no one could ever get one up on Brock without hitting him in the fucking penis. It's so stupid. Well, we all know Paul Heyman's really into sex stuff, so I guess maybe that's it. I don't know. I just couldn't believe they did all that just to have an elimination where he gets hit in the dick and then kicked out of the ring. I'm like, why not just have Drew eliminate him? I don't know. Very stupid. Uh, and then Drew eliminated Ricochet, too. Uh, 17 is... I don't, who was 17? I forgot to write this down. <laughs> I don't, let me check. Is uh, it on fucking... It probably Wikipedia. is. The Miz. The, the Miz was 17? Really? Wow. Okay, so Miz got... He, he got immediately eliminated by, by Drew McIntyre. Uh, 18 was AJ Styles. 19 was Dolph. 20 was... Uh, oh, God. Who was 20? 20 was Carl Anderson, Anderson, I think. Yeah. They all try to team up on Dal on uh, Drew as the crowd is like hundred percent dead here. And this is where the crowd this is where the match like really uh took a bad turn because you know the crowd would the the fans were like really into that whole Brock thing, you know, as they should be, because that was actually like different was cool. cool. Yeah, but they completely died after that. So like if anything, maybe you should have done the Brock thing a little longer. 
maybe drag that to like into the twenties or something. So you go straight from the Brock thing to like the final four. But yeah, there was like this long like dead period between the Brock thing and the final four that just like didn't work at all. But then twenty one was Edge, which okay, Edge came out and finally woke up the crowd. But then then after you know, first of all, the cracked every camera crew misses his first spear back after ten years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they were too busy zooming in on some fan of the crowd. So good job, guys. Uh, but yeah, so Edge cleans house. Number twenty two is King Corbin, and King Corbin is so skilled at killing crowds, he managed to kill this crowd again right after Edge came out after like 10 years on his big return and got like a gigantic pop. The fucking Edge. Right the, yeah. Like the the one dude who people right, thought would never come back. The crowd went right back to being dead. That's how like powerful King Corbin's uh, you know, crowd-killing skills are, I guess. Uh, yeah, Edge Long may he reign. Around here. Long may he reign. 23 is Matt Riddle. Uh, since he's an internet fave, Corbin immediately eliminated him, which I have to admit, mm-hmm. the, the the Vince McMahon like, trolling the internet fans that are dumb enough to watch and like, care about WWE is actually kind of funny. So, uh, way to Absolutely. go. <laughs> Absolutely. 24, 24 is Luke Gallows, and uh, Drew tosses out Corbin. Uh, 25 is Randy Orton. He lays out everybody with RKO's except Edge, and you know, they have a big stare down. They decide to team up and eliminate Anderson and Gallows. Uh, they keep working together against Drew and Dolph. Uh, and that's where the match kind of picks up again, I guess. 26 is Roman Reigns to big booze. Uh, and then I thought I thought they gave it away when Cole said that 26 was the only late slot to never produce a winner. But, uh, you know, apparently they didn't. So that was a good little fake out. Yeah. Uh, he immediately spears Dolph and tosses him to even more booze. I'm like, how, how like not over do you have to be to get booed for leaving Dolph Ziggler in 2020? <laughs> it's like pretty bad. Uh, 27 is Kevin Owens, and then he does all these cannonballs in the corner. I thought it was funny that he like kind of shrugged when he looked at Edge in the corner and was like, well, I know you had neck surgery, buddy, but I'm sorry. <laughs> and then give him the cannonball. Uh, yeah. He gave Roman the stunner, and then did the cool little sequence and gave another stunner to Orton. So this all, this stuff is all fun. Uh, 28 was Aleister Black who cleaned house. 29 was Samoa Joe, and he and Black like stood there and traded. And here's where it got stupid again. Because number 30 was Seth Rollins, uh, flanked by the Office of Pain and Buddy Murphy, his little stable. Now, there's like 50 referees on the floor. Why do none of them have the power to send non-competitors to the back when they're interfering? Yeah. I, <laughs> like, these are not these are not even like rumble competitors that were ever legal in the match and just tossed out. No. These were... I didn't... Well, isn't there like a year of the Rumble where they're fucking uh, Taka Michinoku and Funaki are not in the Rumble and they keep running out and trying to eliminate people and the refs keep chasing them all over the ring and like, you know, keep like, you're not in the match. You got to get out of here. Here, I mean, that, that happens, I think, right? Do you remember that too? I think it was like 2000 or something. John, I wasn't alive. Okay, but you might, I, I'm sorry. I thought you went back and saw some Rumbles or something. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, well, anyway. So, uh, so I'm pretty sure that did happen. I could be making that sure. up. So someone Let's can, ask Rich. Can he probably will know. Uh, yes, I know. He's watched like a million rumbles. But yeah, so like, <laughs> so in that year, they're all chasing around like, oh, Kai and Ty, you can't be out here. You don't do too much damage as non-competitors. Here, Seth Rollins has two giant men in fucking like combat gear and another wrestler helping him. And the referees are like, eh. We can't do anything about it. I mean, they're they're just fucking. They they pull out Joe. They pull out. They help. They help Cecil May Joe and Kevin Owens. And like, the, the fucking refs don't give a shit. 
the only reason why the crew leaves is because Joe and Owens like draw with them to the back. So if Samoa and Joe and Kevin Owens had just said, ah, fuck this, apparently the refs would have stayed out there and just let them keep fucking interfering. I'm just like, what the fuck? So anyway. Uh, Seth gives Roman a curb stomp. I have no idea why he doesn't like him now. I guess just because he's a heel. But they had no falling out, to my knowledge. Because, uh, like, you know, they're on different brands. I mean, you know. Uh, and then Seth uses... Uh, I said that. He uses Stable to distract them. Uh, and then Seth wants to team up with Roman again. So, again, why... That was pretty funny. Why does Seth give him a curb stomp and then say, like, oh, actually, let's team up, buddy. I guess it's because the other guy's got... Death He's like me out. and you. Let, let's. <laughs> and Roman just looks at him like fuck off. Which yeah, is whatever. Then, now I just I actually realize this did make sense. Now I, I'm I'm being mean to WWE unfairly, which I never do on this podcast. But uh, <laughs> Seth, the only reason why Seth won team with team with Roman now is because all of his buddies got like brawled in the back with Joe and Owens. That's why Seth suddenly was like want to be like yeah, buddy, the Shield for life. But, uh, but yeah, all four of the Roman, Edge, and Orton, and Drew all ganged up on Seth and eliminated him. That was kind of funny. So the final four came down to Edge, Orton, Roman, and Drew, uh, all baby faces. I, it's hard to know for sure in this company, but I think they're all our baby faces. Uh, and this was a pretty fun final four. Yeah. Uh, Edge and Orton gave Drew a double RKO. Uh, Orton, like, set up behind him and, like, kind of shrugged when Edge turned around. But he acted like he was going to RKO him. But, uh, you know, Edge... Edge then basically talked to him and not turning on him, only turn on him and toss him out, which is like, again, the the stupid dirty thing of like, why don't you just team up till the end instead of tossing your guy, your teammate out first? Uh, Range goes to spear Edge, but Edge like leapfrogs him, which gets like a gigantic pop. That was really cool. And then he like, you know, spears him uh, and like tosses him, and the crowd went crazy, but Roman just barely held on. uh, And then Edge gets like, you know, knocked to the floor, knocked to the apron as well, and Roman like just like keeps kicking and punching at his hands until he falls to the floor. So that was really cool. The crowd booed the hell out of that though. Uh, and it came down to Roman and Drew, and Roman gave him a Superman punch and went to toss him out, but instead Drew hit the Claymore kick and tossed him. Uh, but yeah, so you know, well, I unless I missed good... it, oops. I, I think Roman didn't cock the fist for his last Superman punch, which might be why he got eliminated. That's yeah, my so got Because he, he, he didn't got a, he cock the fist. Uh, so yeah, I thought this. I thought this was a good rumble. Not as good as the women's one this year. I thought the women's one was better, but this was like a, like a three and a half star rumble. Uh, you know, the, the Brock stuff was really fun. It had a very long dead period after that, but uh, the final four at least was good, even if the stuff at Seth and the stable made no sense and was like mildly infuriating. So yep, I'm pretty go. much with you there. I was around that same. Like, I don't know. I don't really star rate rumbles as accurately as I would everything else, but it's around it, it was it's around that three and a quarter, three and a half range, uh, yeah. a little less than the women's rumble, but I, I enjoyed myself. It was an enjoyable enough time, and the Brock stuff was really really good. So I just yeah. I kind of wish they would have done it for the entire match because that would have been pretty funny. Yeah, I thought they would for a second, but, uh, but yeah, there's the Royal Rumble. Two good rumble matches. The rest of the card kind of shit, other than a pretty good Oscar and Becky match. But like luck on the. On the modern WWE scale, it's a it was a pretty good show compared to some of the other shit they did last year. Uh, yeah, I pretty much agree. Yeah. So the next thing we're gonna talk about is the DDT January twenty sixth Corican Sweet Dreams, uh, that also happened today. Uh overall this show did of twelve hundred and seventy eight fans, which is better than a lot of their rank and file Corkins do. You know, they draw a lot of like nine hundred to one thousand uh Corkins. So I don't know if it was the 
Masa Tanaka being a draw or the Anytime Anywhere contracts, which people usually get really excited about. But, you know, it was a pretty good card, so maybe that's just why. Uh, the show opened with Chihiro and Chihiro Hashimoto and Yuki Ino opening the show together. And, you know, they basically promised to win the tag titles on their own. Like, they each were like, I'm going to win the tag titles all by myself. Uh, and then Imabayashi, like, scolded them and said they, they should get along better since people say they look alike, which was really funny. Like, they both looked at each other, and they both looked at the Imabayashi, and they looked, they looked kind of annoyed by that. Uh, the opening match was Damnation, uh, Mad Polly, Nobuhiro Shibatani, and Soma Takao. Again, defeating Keigo Nakamura, Masahiro Takanashi, and Mizuki Watase. Uh, it was good to see Shimatani back after he went freelance, but uh, there wasn't a lot to this match. Uh, Someone ping Nakamura. Very quick, not much to it. Two stars. Yep. I, I don't like the way Keigo Nakamura looks. That's my only hot take on this. Whenever I look at him, I, I think he looks like shit. I mean, he's still a very new trainer. I know. I I think he's, he's just very never... weird looking. Yeah. Uh, match two was the L'Oreal match. <laughs> Super Sasadango <laughs> Machine and Toru Awashi versus Hiroshi Yamato and Mao. Uh, so Pura, again, DT English Pro, which you always have to plug because they get, they do so much help on, on this. So actually, let me uh, give you the exact thing to plug. It is DDT underscore... No, DDT Pro underscore ENG. Uh, but yeah, the... Uh, the like basically what he said was the beautician will be ringside to fix the wrestlers' hairdos. Shall they get missed, messed up in the rest of the action? Uh, the the beautician's favorite promotion is WWE, and his favorite wrestler is The Rock, which I thought was funny. Uh, Mao had new theme music, so that was cool. Uh, but yeah, Sasadango and Awashi, everybody loved their hairdos, especially Awashi. Like the, the people in the front row went, the girls were like all going nuts for Awashi. They're like, yeah, they're and legitimately like corpsing in the front row. Yeah, and like, his hair. His hair did look great. Okay, it did, it, it did look it did. really good. Like it, it looked like partied and like all styled. It looked like I promised uh, uh, Puff and Brain Andrew on Twitter that like I would talk about Awashi's hair. He, Awashi's hair looked so fucking good. Like yeah, this was the best in his twenty plus year career in twenty plus years of wrestling that his hair has ever looked. So uh, five star, five star hairdo for Toro. Good hair, hair, good hair. Uh, the announcers just kept saying Kakui over and over again, just like cool or handsome. So they, they were very into <laughs> these hairdos. Uh, so Sasango, the, the first joke was like he was very busy uh, finalizing plans for the next muscle show on Monday since he, he scripts it all and plans it all himself. So he's like got this big paper out and he's like writing all this shit down right in the middle of the match. Uh, he tags in and like immediately starts making a call for equipment for the show in the middle of the match, like in the middle of a lockup at a headlock spot. And he, he runs the ropes in like super slow motion and keeps ducking Yamato's like clotheslines and stuff. Then finally, just gets tripped by a simple drop down because he's going so slow. So that was really funny. Uh, and yeah. then Sasango lost his mask and his hair. They turned out to be a wig. So he goes for an emergency ringside beautician, beautician session. Uh, and it's here where I learned that lucha tags have been in effect all this time in this match. So. Uh, Awashi comes in, but the other two start, like, they each grab his arms and they start messing up his hair and this gets huge boos because the crowd's like, no! We love his hair! How dare you! <laughs> Again, very funny. Uh, the magician comes in to save by fixing hair that they're messing up, so what a save. Uh, but Sasan goes mad because he's supposed to be fixing his hair. 
he uh, brings his chair to the ring, and Awashi says, I'll take care of Seth Douglas' hair. And he tells the beautician to go fight them. And here I finally notice the beautician's been wearing a fucking Balor Club shirt all this time. Wait, really? Did you ever? Yes, he's wearing a fucking Finn Balor shirt. Oh, that you... sucks. <laughs> I, no, I didn't notice that at all. Oh, man, uh, okay. Oh, okay, that's. But yeah, I, I... they. So they. I mean, look, it's WWE fan. They were serious, I guess. I, I guess, uh, yeah. But yeah, they 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 like start chopping and slapping him. <laughs> it's pretty funny, uh, Mao and Yamato. But then the beautician finally tags out to Owashi, and then Owashi like lays him out again, and the beautician does a people's elbow. Uh, <laughs> but then Mao finally just like delivers the four fifty sausage dung over the win, and Owashi couldn't make the save because he was busy having his hair fixed on the outside. So this was tremendous, tremendous oh, yeah. stuff. I I liked it a lot. I thought it got a little long in the tooth at the end, but I thought for the most part I really enjoyed. I thought this was pretty hilarious, and it's probably the most I've enjoyed Sasadango for a while. I'd say. Yeah. Uh, match three was all out: Akito, Kanosuke Takashita, and Shuma Katsumata against the new unit that was formed on the first cork of the year, which turned out we got their name the first time. Uh, it's called Eruption. Which is based off of like a Shibuya, Shibuya like street gangs. Okay. Shibuya street gangs in the nineties were named after, uh, like, were named eruptions. So I guess that's what they're named, and and all that stuff like in the back streets and stuff in the video, and then when they go to that shrine, that's all Shibuya. So it all makes sense. Uh, but yeah, so it's called eruption, and it's Kasada Higuchi, Saki Akai, and Yukio Sakaguchi. Uh, there's like a cool video that I just mentioned that shows them all walking around the Shibuya back streets and driving around and uh, going to a shrine to pray. Uh, they have some kind of like Japanese hip hop song and like matching white and red outfits that look really cool. And Higuchi is like clearly positioned as the leader. So I think this is finally like his big push. So people have been waiting forever for the big Higuchi push. They're finally getting it, it looks like. I hope uh, so. Yeah, that dude rules. But yeah, this match was good, and this is one of the matches where I'm just like, how the fuck does Saki Akai take some of these bumps? Because, like, she is in there. Like, sometimes you can tell the guys are going very gentle with her. Other times, like, she at one point in this match takes, like, a fucking backbreaker from Konosuke Takashida that looks like it may shoot break her in half. And yeah, like, it's I... not just about... <laughs> Like, she's doing all these mixed gender matches. It's not just about her gender, because, like, you know, Jihiro Hashimoto is doing mixed gender matches, too. But, like, that that woman's built like a tank. So you never yes. worry about her. But Saki Kai is, like, she looks like she could fucking, I don't know, fit between a crack and a wall. I mean, she is, like, just perfectly thin. And I'm just like, like, how does this woman, she's, like, the rawest wrestler on Earth to take half these fucking bumps and just get in there with dudes and, like, fucking... Mix it up with them, despite looking like she weighs like about sixty pounds. So, uh, well, also yeah, being exactly. like five foot, like six foot tall. Yeah, she's like five nine, I think. Yeah, uh, she is crazy. I don't know how she does have this shit, but uh, I yeah, I, she's she's, one of my, she's pretty. She's good. like she's one of my favorite wrestlers. She used to be terrible, but now she's actually pretty good now, and she just like has this like I don't know. She has like a very unique style that's really could only be her. Like no one else on the entire earth could ever wrestle like Saki Akai. So it's wonderful that Saki Akai wrestles like Saki Akai. I mean, I, I actively seek out her stuff, like on DDT house shows and stuff, because I want to see this alien woman, like, fucking get in there and kick people. Uh, they did three. Yeah, she took some crazy bumps in here. 
Uh, you know, they did a bunch of really cool double team stuff with Saki. And then Saki and Yukio hit like these double apron soccer ball kicks. And Higuchi uh, hit the Dr. Bomb and Akito back in the ring. And that was the pin. Uh, it was really fun. Even It, it was a, like, a little all over the place maybe, but I enjoyed myself. Three and a quarter. Yeah, I also enjoyed it. I think I went three and a half, but yeah, it was a pretty enjoyable time. But I really like this idea of the eruption unit. I, I like all three of those people a lot. Uh, I've been growing on Saki lately. I used to kind of not really think much of her, but Higuchi has always been one of my favorites in DDT, and I always like Yukio. I like the way it looks. And uh, yeah, I thought the video was really cool. And I was trying to get around to the January 3rd Corkin before watching the show, but I didn't really have the time. But uh, so I didn't really know the backstory of this. So when I saw that video, I was like, "Oh, this is cool." So yeah, I'm excited to see where that leads, and hopefully, it leads to Higuchi, you know, getting hot pushed more because that dude fucking rules. Yeah. Um, the other thing, like, yeah, it's just three wrestlers I really like, and they're all in a unit together now. So that's really cool. So I hope uh, I hope that unit has a big year. After that, we have the right to challenge anytime, anywhere time difference battle royal ladder match, Yasurano. Uh, Makoto Oishi, Antonio Honda, Don Shokudino, Daisuke Sasaki, Tetsu Endo, Shinya Aoki, and Yukio Naya. Uh, so here's the rules of this match. It is a delayed entry battle royal, so just like a Royal Rumble, which we've obviously talked about many of them today. Uh, there's three, env- three envelopes above the ring that each contain an Anytime Anywhere contract. Uh, the latter will be introduced at the fourth entrant. If you get eliminated, you, you, if you get pinned, you get eliminated, but... Uh, you can also just pull down a contract and win. So, you know, I mean, at that point you leave as well. So you can't pull down multiple contracts. And there's nothing for the last man remaining if it comes down to, like, you know, I don't know, pinfalls or whatever. Uh, also, they announced there's going to be three more contracts to be determined in three more matches next week. So there you go. That's even more contracts coming. Uh, but, yeah, Endo came out first and then Makoto uh, Yukio Naya came in next, and I, I don't know if the story was that Oishi had him pay, paid him off or something, but like Naya kept trying to help, but like did very badly, <laughs> as we'll get to later. Uh, but yeah, he double teamed Endo with Oishi here. Uh, Ford then was Antonio Honda. He didn't trip over the bottom rope, but he tripped over the ladder he was trying to bring into the ring. I thought that was really funny. A, uh, a little uh, twist on the usual gone the fox thing. Uh, the fifth was Yasurano. The sixth was Daisuke Sasaki. The seventh was Shinya Aoki, and he and Honda had like a little going nipple standoff, which is really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, the eighth was Don Shukudino, who looked like he was going to rush right in, but still stopped to kiss two men in the front row, which again made me laugh a lot harder than it should have. Uh, somewhere in here, Yasuyano got an envelope. Did you see how? Because I completely missed uh, it. I caught it, but I. Don't remember like where the match kinda, happened. All, it happened all of a sudden, where it's like, oh, okay, this this dude got yeah, one. Yeah, okay. so it, it just happened. It just happened out of nowhere, right? Like they didn't really yeah. build it or anything. Yeah, it kind of okay. just happened. Like, like, oh, like they were doing. They're like they're climbing up the ladder, and then stuff would happen, and then yeah, Orano just got one out of nowhere. And this is where like Yuki and Naya tries to help Oishi by like choke slamming him up so he could grab one of the contracts, but instead. Uh, Oishi doesn't grab it and gets choke slammed on the ladder instead, which is pretty funny. Um, but yeah, that was a really like a little inventive spot. And then Sasaki and Endo like climb another ladder, but they get distra- distracted fighting about who will go for the easy to reach contract and who will go for the hard one. Uh, and Sasaki finally gets the easy contract after Dino goes after Endo. Uh, and then we get like one of the most amazing spots of all time. So Dino's climbing a ladder. 
There's another ladder. It's a ladder bridge from the rope to the other to the ladder. Uh, and uh, Shin Aoki ends up laying on that ladder. And we get the Don Shoku nightmare with Dino like leaning over him with on the ladder. And <laughs> which is like one of the most inventive ladder spots I've seen in years. And then Dino gives Endo the Don Shoku driver on the horizontal ladder, which was a sick as hell. Boom, that's a pile driver bump on a fucking ladder. Yeah, that looked and like, yeah, and his head was in his pants too. So that, I mean, it looked fucking like wicked. I, I, I was kind of yeah. like, by the time this, by the time that happened, I was kind of like, all right. A little too much humping for my tastes. I get it. You know, we did the humping, and then fucking they pulled that. Out. I'm like, holy shit! Okay, I was not expecting that. So that was cool. Yeah, but Shinaoki finally gets a third contract after like tying uh, Makoto up in, in the octopus hole on top of the ladder and then reaching while he has him in the hold. So that was great. Uh, so yeah, this was like legitimately more enjoyable than the vast majority of totally played out. Ladder matches, uh, most of them in world wrestling entertainment these days. Yeah. So I usually can't. I usually can't stand ladder matches anymore. But I thought this was like a lot of inventive stuff, a lot of really fun stuff. I went three and three quarters. I thought it was great. I was kind of lower. I was kind of like three and a quarter, mainly because the Dino stuff got to be a little. I'm never. I don't really like Dino that much. Like I don't viscerally hate him like some people do. Like I can take him in small doses, but it got to be a little much at some point. But I thought there's a lot of cool stuff in this match, like and the uh, Dan Shoko driver on the ladder was fucking disgusting. So yeah, that was yeah, awesome. it was a, it was, a, it was a f- I enjoyed myself like pretty much the story of the show that we'll we'll talk about once we talk about the show as a whole. But yeah, it was for me it was it was, it was fine slash good, but I didn't really hate myself for watching. So it's good. Uh, Ima Bayashi then took the microphone and revealed that one of these contracts is special. It's the sword for our right to challenge in the main event of Saitama. Uh, or it turned out Yasurano had the special one, but of course he has to defend it every single match from here on out, just like any other anytime anywhere contract. And he complained he had like two more matches today because I think he was booked on Basara. But then Imabashi reveals you could use your regular anytime anywhere contract to challenge for the KOD title or the Saitama sword. Uh, Suzaki cashes in now on Arano for the sword, so we get the impromptu match. And I have to say, that's fucking stupid. When you really think about it, why would you ever? Challenge if you have you could do either one, right? You have the contract. You can either yeah. challenge for the KOD, you can either challenge for the KOD title, which does not have to be defended in every match from now until uh Saitama Super Arena automatically, or you can challenge for this fucking sword that you lose automatically if you get pinned at any time between now and June. Because the Saitama match is until June. That's kind of stupid. Yeah. Why would you yeah, ever challenge? I, I, I didn't really think about it like that until now. But now that you mentioned it, yeah. Also, yeah, uh, I hope no I'm one shows Will Osprey the sword because he's going <laughs> to want that. Unless I'm missing something. I, maybe I am. Maybe somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. But I'm pretty sure that's how it works. And I don't really get why you'd ever challenge for that sword. But uh, anyway. I mean, it's a cool but sword. Zaki, I mean, it is a cool sword, but you got to defend it every match you're in. Like, you can get pinned in an eight man tag and lose it. <laughs> like, that's kind of stupid. Anyway. Uh, you know, obviously, you just don't get pinned. If you get pinned in the eight-man tag and you're KOD champion, you, you, you're still KOD champion. It's just, anyway. Uh, yes, Arano was Daisuke Sasaki. Uh, Sasaki basically attacks him right away. Uh, but Arano, you know, fights back. And then, you know, they go to a cross face. It's, the crowd was really into this. So that, that helped. Like, the crowd was going crazy. But Arano counters like a flash pin and then keeps 
like almost pinning with these backslides. But uh, Suzaki counters a Rano hold for Rano into a jackknife cradle for the pin. He takes the sword from poor Rano, who barely got to even hold it in his hands before he lost it. Uh, but yeah, Sasaki backstage today is going to take the sword and the belt and go to NXT because he wants to see Candice LeRae. So there you go. Yeah, hopefully he doesn't <laughs> lose it. I mean, I mean, didn't he say he was going to lose it or something in America? Yeah, he said he might lose it in America. So. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. I wonder, Parsh, I, I, it probably was planned. But I wonder if they kind of were like, eh, just grab whatever thing and then have Sasaki cash in or whatever. But yeah, I don't because I can't exactly. When I first saw that uh, Rano had the sword, I'm like, oh okay, so he's gonna main event Saitama because I was stupid and I'm I'm like, oh no, and then he lost right away. So that was pretty funny. Uh, match number six now Michi Marufuji against Kazuki Hirata. The whole thing here is like, you know, Marufuji can't remember Hirata's name. Uh, they play here, does music, and he doesn't come out. And the mayor Fuji comes out carrying an unconscious Hirata in a chair. Uh, apparently, Hirata tried to attack him backstage, and mayor Fuji said he's dead now. But uh, Hirata does eventually wake up and you know apologize for the attack, and says he wants a good, clean fight. And they shake hands, and the bell rings. He immediately goes up to mayor Fuji with the chair. So that was funny. Uh, but other than that, it's just a pretty one-sided match for mayor Fuji including, like, interrupting the dance and breaking his trademark glasses, which the crowd boos. But, uh, you know, then we get to, like, hear it to read this, like, heartfelt letter to Marifuji about how much he admires him and to please dance with him. And he has two more pairs of glasses, and, you know, they eventually do dance together after Marifuji refuses at first. Uh, but, of course, Hirata turns on him again and, you know, hits an enziguri and tries to cradle him, but Marifuji eventually beats him. But, like, uh, he, did, he puts the glasses back on and hits, like, a dancing knee, which was kind of funny, but... I don't know. I was I was kind of hoping this would be more like serious Hirata. You know, yes. like serious Hirata could be really good. Like he's had some amazing matches over the years. But like, yeah, this was just like total comedy, and you know, not what I wanted from this match. And you know, Marufuji and DT, I've yet to see any proof that's good. Be very. Yeah, I mean, I think this is better than the uh, Endo match from Sumo Hall. But uh, yeah, was it Sumo Hall? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, uh, I, yeah, I was kind of gonna say the same thing, but I've seen obviously less of the Harada than you, but whenever I've seen him in like serious stuff, he's always been pretty good. So like when I saw this match in paper, I'm like, oh, okay, it'll be a fun underdog thing. And I realized there's going to be some comedy in it because that's just the house style, but they got a little too much of the comedy to the point where I was kind of like, oh man, I was kind of just hoping this would be like Mirafuji was going to kick the shit out of this dude. He was going to fight back and then hopefully they would like do that. But like, eh, they kind of just chose to go comedy route, which was, I mean, it was, it was funny, but it was, definitely not what I was looking for. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I went three and a quarter on it. But, yeah, I was probably the most disappointed by this over anything because I thought it could have been so much more, but it was just kind of just a normal comedy match. Uh, but he did finally acknowledge Hirata by name after the match. He left arm in arm. So you go. Happy ending, at least. <laughs> uh, the semifinal, the KOD tag team titles. Uh, I never know how to pronounce this. Natalius? I don't know. I thought it was Nautilus. Naomi, I don't know. Nautilus, thank you. Naomi Yoshimura and Yuki Ueno against Chihiro Hashimoto and Yuki Ino. Uh, so Chihiro and Yuki have like a kind of funny mashup theme, which they both got mad at when they came out. They were like yelling at the music guys. I guess it's an unauthorized mashup theme. Um, yeah, the match had a really hot start with a big corkscrew dive from Ueno to the floor. It was like very fast-paced action. 
Uh, there was like this enormous lariat by Chihiro Onoeno, and he paid her back later, another one in the Great Exchange. And, you know, there was just like so much cool stuff in this match. Yoshimura at one point does like this crazy like headlock takeover counter of a spear and then this enormous pile driver for two. And that's where I really wrote that this match fucking rules. And then he puts away, uh, I think, you know, right? He you know, I think. I can't yeah. remember. I watched this at, at like four in the morning. So okay. yeah, <laughs> I, I, exactly I, wrote, yeah, I wrote Yoshimura pinned Oeno, which obviously isn't true. But yeah, but I gave it four stars. I thought it was really awesome. Uh, you know, not quite like, yeah, he did pin Eno. There you go. Uh, you know, it only went 11 and a half minutes, so it wasn't like an epic match or whatever, but it was a really, really good one while it lasted. So yeah. I, I enjoyed this quite a bit. My, my clear match of the night. Yeah, I went three and three quarters on it. Uh, the beginning half of it, I kind of wasn't really getting into, but the second half is when I started really getting into it, and I enjoyed just the general hoss nature of it. And uh, I really like Yoshimura and Ueno as a team, and I hope they I hope they have a good reign because I enjoy their matches from what I've seen so far, so I hope to keep it up. Uh, oh, sorry, it's almost 1 a.m. here. But, oh, believe, oh, believe me, I'm feeling <laughs> it too. <laughs> the main event, the KOD Openweight title, Hiroshima and Masato Tanaka. Um, so the first big spot here was a pretty cl- crazy, like sliding forearm lariat thing by Tanaka uh, off the apron to the floor, which is really cool. the The problem I have with this match is like Tanaka hits him with a chair shot to the leg on the floor, and you know with his leg on the post, and you think that it's going to be like a leg match, but after that Hiroshima, like he hits John Woo, and then he starts throwing kicks fine afterwards. So it's like. What the fuck was the point of that if you guys are just going to blow it off immediately? It was very weird. Yeah, I thought the same thing. That was uh, weird. But yeah, Tanaka, like, you know, they, the match goes, you know, it goes over 20 minutes. So, you know, I'm obviously rushing a little bit here since I'm very tired. But the very end of the match, he hits like a, a big series of sliding Ds and puts Hiroshima away for the pin to become the new champion. Um, you know, I thought it was a very good match, just close to bordering on four stars, but. Maybe just a leg thing annoyed me enough that I went to three down to three and three quarters. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, just not quite like an all-time classic or anything. But I, I was very stunned by Tanaka winning. I mean, I was not spoiled. And Hiroshima failing in second defense and Tanaka becoming the 74th champion. That was pretty pretty surprising. I guess we'll see where we go from here, especially with all the anytime, any contracts, uh, you know, dancing around. Yeah. I was really surprised that because like I kind of went through this match like I was enjoying it. I mean, I ended up going four stars, so I was a little bit above you. But like I, I was enjoying it, but I never really believed that Tanaka would actually win. So I was kind of just like, eh, whatever. Because whenever I don't believe in the challenger, I mean, I was it just kind of doesn't. I'm not really invested. So and then Tanaka won, and I'm like, oh, okay. Um, I mean, I like without <laughs> Tanaka. I'm interested to see how it goes, but I'm I don't know. I. Obviously, I'm not a hardcore DDT fan or anything. I mean, I watch it very casually, but like, I don't know if I would have put the title on Tanaka, but I mean, it's not like he's a bad wrestler or anything, so we'll see how it goes. And I think they were setting up something with Mao, so that should be entertaining if it happens. Yeah, so Inbayashi brought him out as the fir- Tanaka's first challenger for the February Corican, so that's going to be the next the first KOD title challenge for Masao Tanaka. But yeah, overall, I thought this was a, you know, a good show. Not like a... Uh, not a bad one, not a not one of the all-time... It's not a Corican I'm going to remember as an all-time great DDT Corican, but, you know, there was some really funny comedy with the, the L'Oreal match, and there was some... Uh, a lot of stuff was really really fun, and I probably remember that more than anything, the 
ladder battle royal, and then a really good tag title match and a pretty pretty damn good main event that just wasn't quite four star level. So, you know, good show. I did definitely didn't regret watching it or anything. No, it was an easy watch. It was like two and a half hours, maybe or if that even. Yeah, and it went by pretty quickly. Uh, nothing really felt like it went longer than it needed to. So that's always a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, so it was like right. a it was like a solid seven out of ten show for me. Honestly. Yeah, seven out of t- seven out of ten is a pretty good number. That that makes sense. Maybe even seven point five somewhere around. Yeah, there. sure. That, that's what it's at in cage match right now with four ratings. Is a seven point five. Oh wow, okay. The Royal Rumble. Let's say six point five. Yeah, sure. Some somewhere around there, like a six or something, feels about right. Yeah, I don't know. We don't. I don't normally score shows like that, but that's a good. I don't either. Just it just felt right <laughs> describing that DDT show. Like it felt yeah. like a solid seven for me. But I just I didn't want anyone listening at home to be like, well, what, what score do you give the Rumble that you jerks? So there you go. Uh, so I didn't take any questions, part, exactly because I knew that we were recording this at eleven thirty p.m. on a Sunday night. So that way we would keep the show length down. But uh, there you go. Good. No questions this week. So Jack, why don't you give me some plugs so we can go to bed? Oh, thank God. Uh, Twitter, at Packerman120. I've been watching more wrestling this year, so maybe I'll write something for Royces of Wrestling in the near future. I believe I have my Match of the Year 2020 spreadsheet in the thing. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, pro- I'll also probably, I'm planning on going to Tampa for WrestleMania weekend and then Japan later in the year with you. So I'll probably be tweeting about those things. So if you want to see those adventures come April and October, Follow me there at uh, at Packerman120. I am not going to Tampa, but I am going to Japan. So you will also be able to follow my adventures if you want. Uh, yes. Yeah, so thank you as always for listening, folks. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at WrestleOmakase. Wrestling would not fit. You can come wish me luck when I go. I'm going to Foxwoods this week for my girlfriend's birthday. So please, like, put your hands together and lend me your energy for when I play craps. Like, I'm, you know, I'm Goku. Like trying to get the Kamehameha going, you're just gonna like give me your energy to do the spirit bomb on the crafts table. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so hopefully I win some money this week. Uh, but yeah, so that's this week, little mini vacation. But I will be back in time to do next week's episode of Wrestling Omakase. So don't worry about that. Uh, next week, I haven't really planned next week yet, though. <laughs> but I mean, we're gonna. I'm assuming we're gonna talk about for sure the two. New beginning in Sapporo shows. Uh, maybe we'll talk about something else too. I World's Collide schedule. No, not that. Uh, this show that show didn't exist. I mean, you you can't have a brand fight a brand that doesn't exist. It's just not true, 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 true. Uh, but yeah. So anyway, it's it's a rumor that show existed. A false rumor perpetrated by some people at Voices of Wrestling, which I cannot support. So yeah, they say it's um, good. I, I... How could something that doesn't exist be good, Jack? Doesn't make any I mean, sense. If you're not, uh, I'm. It's too late to get into this deep mind. They're, they're having they're having some kind of like mass hallucination, and I, I'm I'm happy for them. They're enjoying that, but they should stop with the drugs and like you know live drug free. Drug free is the way to be. Anyway, so resting on Makazi next week. We'll at least talk about new beginning in Sapporo. Maybe something else if I can remember what else is happening next week. Uh, I don't have a guest yet even, but we'll figure all that out this week after next week, new beginning in Sapporo. Uh, Until then, we'll see you next time. Thank you as always for listening.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.